Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Don't talk so low. Hello and Let welcome. Let them hear you. in. Okay. Bienvenue. What? Okay, welcome to Known Unknowns. I'm Carly. I'm Harry. You are? Yeah. Hmm. You know, I was just now informed by Harry. Yeah. That guy in front of me. That it's every podcaster's thing. Did not have an intro. I feel like that's a pretty common, damn like, it. what? I said, damn it. What What do you mean, damn it? We don't ever have an intro. Yeah, that's no, okay. we do. It's, okay, we're starting. Yeah, Okay, exactly. we're going. And then you go, okay. That's what it is. It's, okay, we're starting. And then you go, oh, or okay. Yeah, that's how it starts. And then we go, uh, uh, uh. What now? I feel, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I just wanted to get that <laughs> cleared up. I feel like it's a common podcast trope for like the host of the podcast to talk about how they don't know how to start the episode. All right. Well, I don't like that. Now I feel like I need to have an in- an intro. Okay. We'll, we'll come up with an intro. We, we could like, what would be a good intro? Uh, well, we, I mean, we play the music what, and then we What say, should we call our, our people? Our people who listen. Uh. Uh, known unknown against. Mom and dad. No, no, <laughs> no, we're mom and dad. Oh yeah, that's right. Our children. Uh, Welcome back, children. <laughs> our children of God. <laughs> children of God, because they are our cult members. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what are we calling them? I don't know. I've, I I like the way we start the episodes normally. I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. Okay, but I still want a name for our audience. All right. I like um, known unknown against, like the backyardigans. Okay. The backyardigans. Uh, no nothings. No nothings. That's mean. I don't okay. want to insult them. Uh, um, known heads, like cone heads. Oh my god, that's funny. I like that. Wait, you're the known heads. Welcome back, known heads. Or unknown heads. No, um, I like known heads. The... It sounds like cone heads. Okay. Um, okay, if you hear me sniffling a lot, it's because my allergies are killing me right now. That was a big you. juicy one for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, what do you want to talk about this week? Shoot, um, dang Shoot. it. Shoot. Shoot, dang. Um, Wait, keep talking. I need to go get a tissue. Okay, uh, let's see. what What's going on this week? Um, I haven't, uh, um, I haven't talked about, I haven't given a WRC update uh, in a while. Um, uh, last weekend was the Vodafone Rally Portugal. Um, I don't know what this is some racing thing yeah okay um and it was it was it happened um you know uh elfin evans from wales won him and uh co-driver scott marshall um it was a it was a good time uh i don't all right next sorry um what else happened um the uh the indy 500 was today yeah, next. Yeah, um, what yeah. else is going on in the world? I've been thinking a lot about um, uh, whether 
my job i've been coming to terms with careful uh <laughs> um i don't know uh just life you've been coming to terms with life well the that i've i've been uh grappling with the fact that i i i i, I, I my 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 work is completely devoid of meaning and uh oh honey <laughs> Oh, honey. It is, you know, I, I guess probably uh, one of the less, it's like, you know, less actively making the world a bad place than like most of the other people working in the same building as me. But like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not making anything better. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, you didn't have a job that was making the world better before this either. I guess. You didn't. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> that sucks. Sorry. Every, 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 everyone hates their job. I mean, I don't hate my job. It's fine. I'm t- a lot I'm just, of people have jobs that don't make yeah, the world I mean, better. Most people have bullshit jobs. It's so true, though. That, yeah, don't don't have a point. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. One day you'll have a less bullshit job. It's okay. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Anyway. <laughs> oh, you want to hear something kind of fun? Yeah. Oh, also, I hope everyone got to see the pictures of the cat that I like to visit. Oh yeah. I found out her real name is Taffic, mm-hmm. and that she lives at that condo building mm-hmm. uh and that they all take care of her collectively so i won't be stealing her but i will be you know visiting her regularly <laughs> her real name is Taffic, so i can't give her a name and i just i tried to call her by Taffic, and she did respond eagerly <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> she seems to be taken care of quite well over there uh-huh Anyway, sorry. you want to hear something kind of fun? Yeah. Actually, you know this. Yeah, okay. So you know those, you know, YouTube or like Instagram or any kind of giveaway ever? I'm thinking specifically Instagram and specifically like YouTube. Like you watch a YouTuber and they're like, comment down below and then follow me on Instagram and then you get my makeup palette. You know, that kind of thing? hmm <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, no one ever actually wins those. Right. Until, <laughs> like, a few weeks ago, when I won one, and it's this, it's this channel I watch on YouTube, and it's called Clever Style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started watching that during the pandemic because yeah. they buy a bunch of clothes and try it on, and I thought it was fun. <laughs> yeah, and they do a bunch of giveaways, like, oh, enter down, like, um, comment down below and follow us on Instagram, and you could win. Uh, you could pick out an outfit of your choice at this place. And I always enter them because they're usually like on these get like usually when they're doing giveaways, it's to, like a really nice like designer or like boutique store that I could not otherwise afford. Mm-hmm. And they had an Asian American. Okay. Asian American a- business. Asian and Pacific Islander business. Fuck. Yeah. 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 A- Asian and Pacific Islander I think the one I specifically bought from was Asian. Anyway, Asian and yes, mm-hmm. um, small business hall. And they tried on a bunch of clothes from all these like Asian owned businesses and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And then they're like, oh, comment down below and you could, uh, you, you could win something from there. And I won. <laughs> I was, they contacted me on Instagram and I thought it was fake, but then it was from the actual like verified Instagram account. And I was like, oh my God. And they're like, you can shop from any of these like six stores mm-hmm. and you can spend $150. And I was like, whoa. This is amazing. <laughs> um, so I was like, I could get like one or two things, which is great. Because like they are expensive things because they were very quality. Like a lot of them were like, there were designer purses. They were like, uh, like uh, ni- really nice like clothes and mm-hmm. like other stuff. They had a bunch of, they had like sun- a place that sold sunglasses, a place that sold like designer purses. And then a lot of just like boutique stores that are pricier because mm-hmm. they're not like you know fast fashion but they're pricier but i would never be able to afford it on my own i was like (laughs) some of these places i wish i could buy from more of these places but uh you know it's expensive so i won and i got to buy from uh i picked the store i picked the store called j ing j dot ing ing okay and it's wonderful and i just got my clothes in the mail (laughs) this is a really long story but i just got my clothes in the mail and they're beautiful like I got shorts. I got pants that I have to dry clean. What? <laughs> I don't own anything that you have to dry clean. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> so they are very, I highly suggest anything from that website. I got a pair of like workout leggings that I'm wearing right now. They're super cute. And then, yeah, I got a like a sweater. It was really, yeah, I, I opened it all and I was like mm-hmm. super excited uh, yeah, yeah. about a finding a new store that hopefully i can support more uh if i save up a little bit (laughs) it's it's pricier but i it was like soup i don't own a lot of like quality clothes i get a lot of my stuff from like shein and like uh like village discount like uh, thrift stores and stuff so (laughs) um it was nice to own it's nice to have like quality clothing and also supporting like a nice small business it's run by this um i believe asian american uh like comedian and she wanted to make couture clothing at more affordable prices and uh, yeah they're really nice i really like it um so i highly suggest this store okay the box that came in was beautiful i opened it remember when it was it was like beautiful yeah so anyway Oh, I was really uh, excited to like have some get some quality clothes in the mail. It was very exciting. We went to a jazz club last night, and you were the you were the best dressed person there. Oh yeah, that night we had already planned on like going out um, and s- to celebrate Harry's first big boy paycheck, um, <laughs> and it was also our first time going out. Uh, since time. the pandemic i mean since we're eating like, inside we ate inside yeah. for the first time um yeah. yeah and it was a jazz club and we spent too much money but it was good and yeah i felt like a million dollars in my outfit it was very like i was like wow like it too. i've looked very fashionable like it was like wow this is a fashionable woman. It wasn't yeah. just like this lame sweater and like a pair of pants that were good quality. It it looked like, like I I was wearing like a very like high end, uh, fashionable. It looked like you went to outfit. 
I don't know. I was very happy with it. I felt very good in it. It was wonderful. <laughs> you looked like you went uh, NYU, but not in an annoying way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I was only able to get, like, a few items with the only – okay, so the reason I was <laughs> even able to get away with getting more than, like, one or two items was because they were having a Memorial Day weekend sale. Uh -huh. So if you spent more than, like, $150, if you spent $150, you got, like, 25% off of your order. So I was able to get, like – like three or four things because of the big sale that was going on. But originally, oh man, without the Memorial <laughs> Day thing, I would have been able to buy like two things. But I highly suggest it if you, if you want some quality clothes. Well, this will be coming out on Memorial Day. Oh yeah. Yeah, go buy, <laughs> go buy some stuff from J-ing. Yeah. J-dot-ing. They're getting some good, they should be, they should be giving you a lot more than $150 worth of stuff for this promotional promotion. Well, they didn't get clever gave it to yeah, me. Yeah, okay, that's true. I would like to share my experience with a wonderful small business. Uh, you know. Okay. I would like to share that for All free right. because I had a great experience and I want everyone and also I'm very happy that I want a giveaway. Moral of the story, I was like having a really bad day. I was having a really bad day, like mm -hmm. worst day of my life. And then I got this message and I screamed on the sidewalk and Harry thought something bad, even worse happened. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I want a giveaway. And I was so excited. It made my day. <laughs> so it has made like my whole month. Sometimes I think about it and I'm like, whoa, that was cool. I got to spend a lot of money at a cool place. Yeah. Anyway, okay. anywho, I think we've hit our deadline we've for the beginning. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. All right. So now what do you actually want to talk about? <laughs> so topic, you mean? Yeah. Why are we here? Oh, okay. Why? Okay, hang on. Sorry. Why? Oh, okay. Harry? <laughs> what? Sorry, I'm moving my computer so I can tell my story. Oh, God, there's so many wires. <laughs> All right, I'm telling my story now. I am going to tell you about... Oh, I said last week that this was about a great person. Yeah. And blah, 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 and that it was more uplifting. And it yeah. is. Okay. So I'm going to talk to you about the wonderful human being who was Ida B. Wells. Because Harry didn't... Harry was taking a drink. That's why he didn't respond. But I think... I'm just baffled every time I hear her story that I wasn't taught this in, like, high school. Because mm -hmm. she did, like, so many amazing things for this kind Like, uh, okay. I'm just shocked that I, I'm not even ever... I have not added in her whole life. That would take, like, five hours to tell you. Okay. I had to, like, pick and choose things that she had done. And, like, yeah. I'm just mad I had never really known about her until I really read into her you know yeah mm -hmm. anyway so i'm gonna talk to you about ida b wells okay do you know much about her uh no i, I you don't not well i know that no i don't i don't right? actually know much yeah. about her i know that i should know more about her the only reason the first time i ever heard about her was when we changed chicago changed what congress parkway mm -hmm. into ida b wells drive yeah and mm -hmm. I was like, who's Ida B. Wells? <laughs> right. But, uh, and then I heard about her on a podcast. So, okay. and I was like, whoa. Anywho, ready? Yeah. Okay. 
So early life. The Bowling Gatewood House, where the Wells family lived while in slavery, uh, while in slavery, and Ida... Okay, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, this is off to a rough, rough start here. Take it again. The Bowling... I still don't think this makes sense. The Bowling Gatewood House, where the Wells family lived... Uh, the where the Wells family lived while in slavery. Ida was born, I don't, I, I must have, I don't know, was born and, oh, while in slavery and Ida was born. Oh my goodness. This doesn't, <laughs> I, this doesn't have a period at the end. Oh God. <laughs> I wrote this like a week ago. Oh, no. oh man. Okay. Ida B. Wells was born on the bowling farm near Holly Springs, Mississippi, July 16th, 1862. She was the eldest child of James Madison Wells and Elizabeth Lizzie Warrington. James Wells's father was a white man who impregnated and enslaved uh, an enslaved black woman named Peggy. Before dying, James's father... Uh, James's father brought him, aged 18, to Holly Springs to become a carpenter's apprentice, where he developed a skill and worked as a hired, hired out slave living in town. In quotes, hired okay. out slave living in town. Lizzie's experience as an enslaved person was quite different. And these are Ida's parents. Okay. Um, was quite different. One of ten children born on a plantation in Virginia, Lizzie was sold away from her family and siblings and tried without success to locate her family following the Civil War. Before the Emancipation Proclamation was issued, Wells' parents were enslaved to Spires Bowling, an architect and family, and the family lived in the structure now called Bowling Gatewood House, which has become the Ida B. Wells, the Ida B. Wells Barnett Museum. I'm struggling today. <laughs> uh, after emancipation, Wells's father, um, James Wells, became a trustee of Shaw College, now Rust College. Okay. He refused to vote for Democratic candidates, see Southern Democrats, during the period of Reconstruction, <laughs> um, became a member of the Loyal, Loyal League and was known as a, quote, race man. Uh, for his involvement in politics and his commitment to the Republican Party. He founded a successful carpentry business in Holly Springs in 1867, and his wife Lizzie became known as a, quote, famous cook. All right. All right. Okay. Ida B. Wells. So those were Coming from humble beginnings. The humble. Very, very much so. Ida B. Wells was one of eight children. Uh, and she enrolled in the historically black liberal arts college, Rust College, in Holly Springs, formerly Shaw College. In September 1878, tragedy struck the Wells family while, uh, I can't read, tragedy struck the Wells family when both of Ida's parents died during a yellow fever epidemic that also claimed a sibling. Wells had been visiting her grandmother's farm near Holly Springs at the time and was spared. Following the funerals of her parents and brother, friends and relatives decided that the five remaining Wells children should be separated and sent to various foster homes. She resisted this proposition. To keep her younger siblings together as a family, she found work as a teacher in a black elementary school in Holly Springs. I'm pretty sure she had not graduated from college yet. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think this had happened. Uh Her paternal grandmother, Peggy Wells, uh, along with other friends and relatives stayed with her siblings and cared for them during the week while she was teaching. 
Okay. About two years after Wells's grandmother, Peggy, um, about two years after Wells's grandmother, Peggy, had a stroke and her sister, Eugenia, died. Wells, at the invitation of an aunt in Memphis, uh, Fanny Butler, who? Okay. Her, her, I'm assuming her that's her aunt in Memphis. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah With her two youngest. I just can't read. My brain has melted. I haven't done this in a very long time. <laughs> sorry. Uh, with her two youngest sisters, moved in with her in 1883. Memphis is about 56 miles from Holly Springs. Okay. Okay, so that was like her early life. All right. She like got a teaching job and then took care of her family because her parents died. And that's very... Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so early career in anti-segregation activism. It is with no... Wait, what? What? Oh, this is a quote. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Soon after... This isn't the quote. I'm not reading the quote. Okay. Because it doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, well, it doesn't make any sense with what I've talked about so far. You wrote this a week ago, you said. Yes, don't judge me. No, I was just... No. I don't... I... Yeah. I copy and pasted this a week ago, Harry. Oh, okay. This is I even see. worse for me. I see. Okay. Okay. I went through and read the whole thing, and it made sense when I was reading it in my impaired state of depression. Okay. And this made sense to me, and now it doesn't. In my slightly less impaired state of depression. <laughs> I... F anyway. I'm still We're doing great. not doing well, folks, but I'm doing better <laughs> than I was. Soon after moving to Memphis, Wells was hired in Woodstock by the Shelby County School System. During her summer vacations, she attended summer sessions at Fisk University, a historically black college in Nashville, Tennessee. She also attended Lim Limon Owen College, a historically black college in Memphis. She held strong political opinions and provoked many people with her views on women's rights. At the age of 24, she wrote, quote, I will not begin at this late day by doing what my, what my soul abhors, sugaring men, weak, deceitful creatures, with flattery to retain them as escorts or to gratify a revenge. And, end quote. I'm assuming... Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, moving on. On May 4th, 1884, a train conductor with the Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad ordered Wells to give up her seat in the first-class ladies' car and move to the smoking car, which was already crowded with other passengers. The previous year, the Supreme Court had ruled against the Federal Civil Rights Act of 1875, which had banned racial discrimination and public accom... Uh, rule... I lost my place. In public accommodations... The verdict supported railroad companies that chose to racially segregate their passengers. When Wells refused to give up her seat, the conductor and two men dragged her out of the car because she refused that hardcore, and so they dragged her out. Right. Wells gained publicity in Memphis uh, when she wrote a newspaper article for The Living Way, a black church weekly, about her treatment on the train. Mm -hmm. In Memphis, she... 
In Memphis, she hired an African-American attorney to sue the railroad. When her lawyer was paid off by the railroad, she hired a white attorney. <laughs> uh, hang on, I'm clicking. Yep, okay, okay. You're almost there. She won her case on December 24th, 1884. Yay. Uh, yeah. Don't say that. What? When the local circuit court granted her a $500 award, the railroad company appealed to the Tennessee Supreme Court, which reversed the lower court's ruling in 1887. That's why I said don't say yay yet. Okay, sorry. Don't repeat after me. Okay. Don't do as I say. Don't say as I say. No. No. Okay, okay. Uh, sorry. It concluded, quote, We think it is evident that the purpose of the defendant in error was to harass with a view to this suit, and that her persistence was not in good faith to obtain a comfortable seat for the short ride, end quote. Wells was ordered to pay court, court costs. Her, her reaction to the higher court's decision revealed her strong convictions on civil rights and religious faith as she responded, quote, I felt so disappointed because I had hoped such great things for my suit, from my suit for my people. Oh, God, is there no justice in this land for us? End quote. While continuing to teach elementary school, Wells became increasingly active as a journalist and writer. Uh, she was offered an editorial position for the Evening Star in Washington, D.C., and she began writing weekly articles for the Living Way newspaper under the pen name Lola. I think that's an L, but it could be Iola. It could uh, be an I. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, articles she wrote under her pen name attacked racist Jim Crow policies. In 1889, she became editor and co-owner with J.L. Fleming of the, th of the Free Speech and Headlight, a black-owned newspaper established by the Reverend Taylor Nightingale and based at the Beale Street Baptist Church in Memphis. I think that's Iola. I think that's an I. I think it is an I, too, because if it was a capital, there would be a little line underneath. Iola. Eola. In 1891, Wells was dismissed from her teaching post by the Memphis Board of Education due to her articles criticizing conditions in the black schools of the region. She was devastated, but undaunted, and concentrated her energy on writing articles for The Living Way and The Free Speech and Headlight. So this is a story about the People's Grocery near Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, wait, the People's Grocery was a successful African-American cooperative. Okay. So this is about a grocery store. Okay, good. Cool. It's not cool. Those are important. Okay. Well, this is not a good story, oh. but... This is a sad story. Oh, okay. In 1889, Thomas Henry Moss Sr. opened, um, a black man, opened People's Grocery, which he had co-owned. People's Grocery, which he had co-owned. The store was located in a South Memphis neighborhood nicknamed The Curve. Wells was close to Moss and his family, having stood his grandmother to his first... I thought this was a man. Wait. What? <laughs> having stood as godmother to his first child, Maureen E. Moss. What? Okay. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moss's store did well and competed with a... 
<laughs> I don't understand. This is okay. rough. Should we start over? This is bad. No, it's okay. okay. You're doing your best. God, I wanted great. to do this story justice. <laughs> it is not. I'm sorry. This is bad. Moss's story did well and competed with a white-owned grocery store across the street, Barrett's Grocery. I like People's Grocery more. Uh, yeah. That name is better. Also, The Curve is a cool name for a neighborhood. <laughs> oh, it is. Area. Owned by William Russell Barrett, of course. On March 2nd, 1892, a young black male youth named Armour Harris was playing a game of marbles with a young white male youth named Cornelius Hurst. Armor and Cornelius. They, I hate that. They had, they had some names back in the day. In front, they were playing in front of the people's grocery. Okay. The two male youths, the two children, got into an argument and a fight during the game as the um, black youth... As Harris began to win the fight, the father of Cornelius Hurst intervened and began to thrash Harris, the child... The People's Grocery employees, William Stewart and Calvin R. McDowell, saw the fight and rushed outside to defend the young Harris from the adult Hearst as people in the neighborhood gathered into what quickly became a, quote, racially charged mob. Okay. The white grocer, Barrett, uh, returned, returned the following day, March 3rd, 1892, to the People's Grocery with a Shelby County Sheriff's deputy looking for William Stewart, but Calvin McDowell, who greeted Barrett, indicated that Stewart was not present. Uh, Barrett was dissatisfied with the response and was frustrated that the People's Grocery was competing with his store. Angry about the previous day's... What's that word? Melee. Barrett responded that... He said black people are thieves. This is what Barrett said. Yeah, That's okay. not what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, and hit McDowell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think you were saying that. Well, I didn't that. say quote. Well, anyway. Yeah, I know. Anyway. And hit McDowell with a pistol. What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> McDowell wrestled the gun away and fired at Barrett, missing narrowly. McDowell was later arrested, but subsequently released. Okay. This is, this is a rough time. Uh-huh. I forgot where I was. <laughs> On March 5th, 1892. <laughs> this is bad. Should we stop? Do, do you want to take a break from your story and do mine first? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm getting there. I'm going to do good here. I don't remember where I was. On March 5th, 1892, a group of six white men, including a sheriff's deputy, took electric streetcars to the people's grocery. The group of white men were met by the group of white men were met by a barrage of bullets from the people's grocery, and Shelby County Sheriff Deputy Charlie Cole was wounded, as well as civilian Bob Harold. Hundreds of white people were de uh, deputized almost immediately to put down what was perceived by the local Memphis newspapers, commercial and appeal avalanche as an armed rebellion of black men in Memphis. Thomas Moss, a postman, in addition to being the owner of the People's Grocery, was named as a conspirator along with McDowell and Stewart. The three men were arrested and jailed pending trial. Okay. 
Around 2.30 a.m. on the morning of March 9, 1892, 75 men wearing black masks took Moss, McDowell, and Stewart from their jail cells at the Shelby County Jail to a Chesapeake and Ohio rail yard one mile north of the city and shot them dead. After the lynching of her friends, Wells wrote in Free Speech and Headlight, urging uh, black people to leave Memphis altogether. Quote, uh, hang on. I gotta gotta move. I'm not used to doing this on my computer. I'm used to having paper. Like an old lady. Uh, Quote, There is, therefore, only one thing left to do. Save our money and leave a town which which will neither protect our lives and property nor give us a fair trial in the courts, but takes us out and murders us in cold blood when accused by white persons. End quote. Uh, The event led Wells to begin investigating lynchings using investigative journalist techniques. She began to interview people associated with lynchings, including a lynching in Tunica, Tunica, Mississippi, in 1892, where she concluded that the father of a young white woman had implored a lynch mob to kill a black man with whom his daughter was having a sexual relationship under under a pretense, quote, to save the reputation of his daughter of his daughter, end quote. Wells' anti-lynching commentaries and the free speech had had been building, particularly with respect to lynchings and imprisonment of black men suspecting of raping white women. Um, On May 21st, 1892, Wells published an editorial in the free speech refuting what she called, quote, that old threadbare lie, Uh, that black men rape white women. If Southern men are not careful, a conclusion might be reached uh, which uh, which will be very damaging to the moral reputation of their women. End quote. Four days later, on May 25th, the Daily Commercial published a threat. Quote, The fact that a black scoundrel Ida B. Wells, is allowed to live and utter such loathsome and repulsive, uh, what is this word? I, um, I can't read it. Calum- calumnies. Sure, yeah. <laughs> is a volume of evidence as to the wonderful patience of Southern whites. But we've had enough of it. End quote. The evening skimitar in Memphis copied the story that same day. A white mob ransacked the free speech office, destroying the building and its contents. James L. Fleming, co-owner with Wells and business manager, was forced to flee Memphis, and reportedly the trains were being watched for Wells' return. Creditors took possession of the office and sold the assets of free speech. Wells had been out of town, uh, vacationing in New York, but never returned to Memphis. Wells subsequently accepted a job in New York with New York Age and continued her anti-lynching campaign from New York. For the next three years, she resided in Harlem. On October 26, 1892, Wells began to publish her research on lynching in a pamphlet titled Southern Horrors, Lynch Law in All Its Phases. And then she also wrote a pamphlet or like a book called The Red Record in 1895. Okay. So after conducting greater research, Wells published The Red Record, a 100-page pamphlet with more detail describing lynching in the United States since the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863. It also covered black people's struggles in the South since the Civil War. The Red Record explored the alarmingly high rates of lynching in the United States, 
which was at a peak from 1880 to 1930. That is 50 years of a peak. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's a long a, peak. I, I know. That's it's a, a big peak. Wells Barnett said that during Reconstruction, most Americans outside the South did not realize the growing rate of violence against black people in, in the South. She believed that during slavery, white people had not committed as many attacks because of the economic labor values of slaves. Southern horrors and the Red Records documentation of lynchings captured the attention of Northerners who knew little about lynching or accepted the common explanation that black men deserved this fate. According to the Equal Justice Initiative, um, 4,084 African Americans were lynched in the South alone between 1877 and 1950, and of which 25% were accused of sexual assault, nearly 30% murder. Generally, southern states and white juries refused to indict any perpetrators for lynching, although they were frequently known and sometimes shown in the photographs being made more frequently of such events. Despite Wells' Wells Barnett's attempt, so she's married now at this point. Okay. I think we talk about him eventually. I don't okay. know if I cut that out, but she goes by Wells Barnett now. Okay. Despite Wells Barnett's attempts to attempt to garner support among white Americans against lynching, she believed that her campaign could not overturn the economic interests whites had in using lynching as an instrument to maintain Southern order and discourage black and discourage black economic ventures. Ultimately, Wells Barnett concluded that appealing to reason and compassion would not succeed in gaining criminalization of lynching by Southern whites. Wells Barnett concluded that perhaps armed resistance was the only defense against lynching. Meanwhile, she extended her efforts to gain support of such powerful white nations as Britain to shame and sanction the racist practices of America. Mm. Wells toured England, Scotland, and Wales for two months, addressing audiences of thousands and rallying a moral crusade among the British. She relied heavily on her pamphlet, Southern Horrors, in her first tour, and showed shocking photographs of actual lynchings in America. Mm -hmm. On May 17, 1894, she spoke in Birmingham at the Young Men's Christian Assembly in the, in, and at Central Hall. Uh, on the last night of her second tour, the London Anti-Lynching Committee was established reportedly the first anti-lynching organization in the world. Its founding members included many notables, such as the Duke of Argyle, Sir John Gorst, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Lady Henry Somerset, and some 20 members of Parliament, with activist Florence Bulgarni as the honorary secretary. As a result of her two lecture tours in Britain, she received, a signif she received significant coverage in the British and American press. Many of the articles published at the time of her return to the United States were hostile personal critiques, rather than reports of her anti-lynching positions and beliefs. Despite these attacks in the white press, Wells had nevertheless gained extensive recognition and credibility, and an, and an inner and an international audience of white supporters of her cause. So more on her marriage and family. Okay. So th that's cool. just some of the stuff she's done so right. far. So, which she's so far. <laughs> when was she born and what year is it? I don't know. Okay, never mind. That's okay. I don't know. She's, 
She's not that old. Okay, cool. On June 27th, 1895, in Chicago, at Bethel AME Church, Wells married attorney Ferdinand L. Barnett, a widower of two sons, Ferdinand Barnett and Albert Graham Barnett. Ferdinand Lee Barnett, who lived in Chicago, was a prominent attorney, civil rights activist, and journalist. Like Wells, he spoke widely against uh, lynchings and for civil rights of African Americans. Wells and Barnett had met in 1893, working together on a pamphlet protesting the lack of black representation at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. Uh Barnett founded the Chicago Conservator, the first black newspaper in Chicago, in 1878. Wells began writing for the paper in 1893, later acquired a partial ownership interest, and after marrying Barnett, assumed the role of editor. Wells's marriage to Barnett was a legal union as well as a partnership of ideas and actions. Ah, uh-huh, just like us. Yeah. Except without the legal union. Yeah. <laughs> both were journalists and both were established activists with a shared commitment to civil rights. In an interview, Wells's daughter, Alfreda, or Alfreda, said that the two had, quote, like interests, end quote, and that their journalist careers were intertwined. That sort, this sort of close working relationship between wife and husband was unusual at the time, as women often played more traditional domestic roles in marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they like worked together, uh-huh. and then yeah. they also, like, she kept, she like hyphenated her name. Yeah. And this was in the 1800s. Yeah. So that's wild to me. Um, In addition to Barnett's two children from Ferdinand's previous marriage, the couple had four more. Oh, man. I know. In a chapter of Wells' autobiography, Crusade for Justice, titled A... Crusade for Justice titled A Divided Duty, she described the difficult challenge of splitting her time between family and work. She continued to work after the birth of her first child, traveling and bringing the infant Charles with her. Although she tried to balance her roles as a mother and as a national activist, it was alleged that she was not always successful. Susan B. Anthony said she seemed, quote, distracted. (laughs) I hate that lady. Her establishment of Chicago's first kindergarten prioritizing black children, located in the lecture room of the Bethel AME Church, demonstrates how her public activism and her personal life were connected. That's cool. Mm -hmm. She established the first Chicago's first kindergarten prioritizing black children. Yeah. African American leadership. That's what this is under. Okay. The 19th nineteenth century's acknowledged leader for African-American civil rights, Frederick Douglass, praised Wells' work, giving, giving her introductions and sometimes financial support for her, inves- for her investigations. Uh-huh. Ooh. Cool. When he died in 1895, Wells was perhaps at the height of her notoriety, but many men and women were ambivalent or against a woman taking the lead in black civil rights at the time when more when women were not seen as and often not allowed to be leaders by the wider society. Mm-hmm. For the new leading voices, Booker T. Washington, his rival uh, W.E. DeBoe and more traditional minded women activists, Wells often came to be seen as too radical for the new leading voices. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Organizing in Chicago. 
Having settled in Chicago, Wells continued her anti-lynching work while becoming more focused on the civil rights of African Americans. See, this is why she like lived in Chicago and did a lot of great work in Chicago. Therefore, yeah. she did a lot of great work in Illinois, where we grew up. So why did we not learn about her in school? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, that's crazy to me, right? Yeah, I know. Um, I agree. She worked with national civil rights leaders to protest a major exhibition. She was active in the National Women's Club, and she ultimately ran for the Illinois State Senate. She also was passionate about women's rights and suffrage. She was a spokeswoman and an advocate for women being successful in the workplace, having equal opportunities, and creating a name for themselves. Wells was an active member of the National Equal Rights League, or the NERL, founded in 1864 and was their representative calling on and was their representative calling on President Woodrow Wilson to end discrimination in government jobs. In 1914 she served as president of president of NERL's Chicago Bureau. Despite Douglas's praise, Wells was becoming a controversial figure among local and national women's clubs. So yeah, she faced like like Mm-hmm. I think we're getting into this, but okay. okay. She it, this was evident when in 1899 the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs intended to meet in Chicago, and that's National Association of Colored Women's Clubs. That was okay. the name. Yeah. Intended to meet in Chicago, writing to the president of the aso- of the association, Mary Terrell. Uh, Chicago organizers of the event stated that they would not cooperate in the meeting if it included Wells. When Wells learned that Terrell had agreed to exclude Wells, she called it a, quote, a staggering blow. So women's organizations, including and especially Susan B. Anthony, did not like her because she was black. And they thought it was bad for their cause to get black women involved. Mm -hmm. So when Susan B. Anthony did all of her stuff, she was like, Sorry, black women. <laughs> you can kind of go to the back of the parade, but like, <laughs> right. you can't really. And then Ida B. Wells was like, okay, sounds good. And then they like got, I remember this story. And then she got like, got to this rally early. And then they're like, fuck you, motherfuckers. And then like, got in front and stuff and like, you know, did their little march, like just intermixed with the white women uh-huh. uh, marching sure. so to be allowed in she was like sure sure thing i'll stay in the back uh-huh. and then she see. instructed everyone to not stay in the back <laughs> and yeah so she yes. was not liked by many people yeah. especially like women's groups uh-huh yeah um let's see let's see Okay, Wells's role in the U.S. suffrage movement was inextricably, yeah. that doesn't seem like a word, yeah, linked to her <laughs> lifelong crusade against racism, violence, and discrimination towards African Americans. Her view of women's enfranchisement was pragmatic and political. Like all suffragists, she believed in women's rights, right to vote, but she also saw enfranchisement as a way for black women to become politically involved in their communities and to use their votes to elect African Americans, regardless of gender, to to influential political office. As a prominent black suffragist, and she was doing all of this in, like, 1890. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. People are still 
like doing this and that is seen as like super radical so mm-hmm. how radical was she like she was seen as like way too radical for right. like radical stuff <laughs> so i'm just and even now those views are like super radical so i'm like man this lady is cool as hell you know yeah she was like so radical for the time like so i don't know yeah it was very yeah it was it is really cool um let's see as a prominent black suffragist wells held strong positions against racism violence and lynching that brought her into conflict with leaders of largely white suffrage organizations perhaps the most notable example of this conflict was her very public disagreement with frances willard the first president of the women's christian temperance union (laughs) the wctu was a predominantly white women's organization with branches in every state and a growing membership including in the southern united states where segregation laws and lynching occurred With roots in the call for temperance and sobriety, the organization later became a powerful advocate of suffrage in the U.S. Although Willard and her prominent supporter, Lady Somerset, was critical of Wells' comments, Wells was able to turn that into her favor, portraying their criticisms as as attempts by powerful white leaders to, quote, crush an insignificant colored woman, end quote. Wells also dedicated a chapter in the Red Record to juxtapose the different positions that she and Willard held. The chapter, titled Miss Willard's Attitude, (laughs) condemned Willard for using rhetoric that prompted violence and other crimes against African Americans in America. Uh... Okay, so during World War I, the U.S. government placed Wells under surveillance, labeling her a, quote, or dangerous, quote, race agitator, end quote. She defied this threat by continuing civil rights work during this period, which such figures as Marcus Marcus Garvey, Monroe Trotter, and Madam C.J. Walker in 1917, uh, okay, Uh, (laughs) Wells wrote a series of investigative reports for the Chicago Defender at the East Estates, at the East St. Louis race riots after almost 30 years away after almost 30 years away Wells made her first trip back to the south in 1921 to investigate and publish a report on the Elaine massacre in Arkansas published in 1922 Wells Barnett explained that the defense okay so this is a separate section that was okay influence on black feminist activism (laughs) okay Wells Barnett explained that the defense of white women's honor allowed Southern white men to get away with murder by projecting their own history of sexual violence onto black men. Her call for all races and genders to be accountable for their actions showed African-American women that they can speak out and fight for their rights. By portraying the horrors of lynching, she worked to show that racial and gender discrimination are linked, furthering the black feminist cause. Wells began writing her autobiography, Crusade for Justice, uh, but never finished the book. It was uh, posthumously, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't say that, published, (laughs) edited by her daughter, Alfreda Barnett Duster, in 1970, as Crusade for Justice, the autobiography of Ida B. Wells. Wells died of uremia or kidney failure in chicago on march 25th 1931 at the age of 68 man she was young 
Mm-hmm. Damn, she did all of that so young. Okay. <laughs> she was buried in Oakwood Cemetery in Chicago South Side. In July 2018, she has a ton of awards and recognition, like so many things. Uh-huh. But the main one, the, the one that I, yeah, okay. In July 2018, Chicago City Council officially renamed Congress Parkway as Ida B. Wells Drive. It is the first downtown Chicago street named for a woman of color. Uh-huh. Which is wild. <laughs> I did not know that. Makes sense, though. Yeah. Um, go read more about her. Um, I kind of want to read her autobiography. Yeah, you should. Go read more about her. She's a wonderful, amazing lady who has done so much more than this. Like, the work she has done is insane. I don't know why we don't learn about her. She has done so much. I mean, I know why we don't learn about mm-hmm. her. She's an amazing black woman in in the United States history. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, she mm-hmm. did a lot of great stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who we did learn about in school. <laughs> Susan B. Anthony. I guess so. Uh, Rosa Parks. Yeah, that was a about the that was about the limit of it mm-hmm. um yeah so that story was bad i might just come back another time later on and redo this story and do better at it because i did not do <laughs> this woman justice <laughs> i tried real hard and i failed miserably but uh-huh. i hope you kind of got the gist of how amazing she is and i suggest um you go read even more about her because she's done so much more and i did not tell her story very well or eloquently so (laughs) that's okay you did a great job no don't give me credit for something i didn't do well i I think don't do that don't give me credit for something i didn't do well (laughs) all right okay okay i'm sorry we're not going to ignore that this happened because the story is still, I think you should still listen to it. But right. we're going to not really talk about this failure ever again. Well, Continue. Y- you hear, the, you hear the, the garbage I put out all the time. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> I think in comparison. Just read your story. All right. So, I've, actually, I've, got, I've got six. Uh, uh, we've, we've talked about. Um, Six. So, well, you know, a while back you talked about the uh, the Chicago Mothman sightings, like yes. about a year ago and stuff. So I figured I would. Uh, Shit. I would... Are you updating us on that? Well, I'm, I'm uh, on <gasps> other sightings around the area of various things. So I've got like six different accounts. I was with my friends the other day. Yeah. And we all want to drive for the Mothman down to the Mothman Festival because they're having it this summer. Oh, okay. We're in West Virginia. I think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So we're gonna go do that. Anyway. Uh, okay. Continue. Cool. All right. Um. So I'm trying to decide how to. Uh, all right. How 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 to choose what order to do? Actually, you know what? I'm gonna re. I'm gonna give you like a a couple words from the headline and from each of the headlines. Uh, tell me what you want to hear first. Okay. okay? So uh, there's there's dragon. Uh, there's um uh seven to eight feet there's owl humanoid there's um oh no that's the same one isn't it okay um sorry not not the seven to eight feet there i have the 
humanoid owl from two different sources. So are you updating us on this Mothman thing? Are you telling us more about Mothman? I'm telling you about some stuff that's going on. Oh, okay. Um, In Chicago? A strange object. Yeah, and okay. uh, Upper Midwest. I want generally. owl humanoid. Okay, so we'll start with that one. Um, the headline... Well, well, so I, apparently I just saved two stories on it, but one of them... I think one of them goes more in, more in depth. So the headline okay. from phantomsandmonsters.com. Oh, yeah. One of our, uh, uh, you know, one of our favorite sources. Yes. So is large flying owl humanoid observed by shuttle bus driver at O'Hare International Airport. When was this? When was it? This was May... Th- well, it was posted on May 3rd, 2021. Yes. Oh, right. my God. So the, the initial report uh, filed it. here, I'll read from... Is, is hello my name is redacted mm-hmm, and i mm-hmm. work as a shuttle bus driver at o'hare airport i was working on april 21st 2021 near the new parking terminal near zemke road at about 6 p.m i was staged and had wandered away from my bus to take a smoke break when i saw a large owl fly over the top of the building and disappeared behind the parking garage oh my gosh <laughs> This is crazy. You saw an owl. Harry, I love Mothman stories. I will be gasping this whole time. Please continue. <laughs> All right. Well, this this seems more like an owl, man. If, or right now, it just seems like an owl. Uh, it must have been at least 30 to 40 feet off the ground when I saw it fly over. Sounds like an owl. It made no sound and looked like a giant black thing with very large wings. I saw it for all of two to three seconds as it flew overhead and over the building and out of sight. I didn't see it again, and I saw nothing else when I drove around to the other side after starting my route again. I know of the stories of the Mothman that is seen around O'Hare, and this is why, when I saw your reports, that I decided to write to you about what I saw. So this person just saw... A big owl. (laughs) Yeah. Why are you laughing? This is great. Let me see what the investigator's notes are. Um, I spoke with the gentleman via telephone for a few minutes regarding his sighting. The witness seemed very hesitant in regards to speaking about his sighting. He states that he was advised by his superiors that it was a misidentification of a large bird and that he should not speak to anyone else about these sightings. Okay, well now it's... Oh uh, now my I believe god. It. If his well, yeah, superiors are trying to... suppressed. Suppress it? Yeah. Oh my god. it's real. It's real. It is real. When I asked him regarding the sighting and if he thought he had indeed seen a large bird, he stated that he was certain that it was not a large bird as the wingspan was easily 15 to 20 feet in width. Oh my and the human gosh. <laughs> and the object seen was easily the size of a human being. He described it as humanoid in shape and solid black and moving faster than he had seen any bird fly. Whoa. <laughs> How did he know this was a giant owl? I'm thinking this is Mothman. Or Mothman over the pandemic got fat like everyone else. He's, you know, like now a round boy with big wings. Owl shaped. Yeah, because yeah. he's round. What, what's the normal? Owls are round. They're like little blobs. They're cuties. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. Uh, the <laughs> witness Mothman. did not elaborate on any other details other than he was certain it was not any bird seen around the airport. At least not one he had seen in his time on the job. The witness did not wish to speak with the investigator anymore, and he was thanked for his report and his time and the phone call. Subsequent requests for information via email and phone were not returned. Oh, they killed him. They totally killed him. They threw him in a jet engine. Yeah. Poor guy. Absolutely. 
He's trying to tell us the truth about the owl humanoid mothman. Yeah. The airport. Damn. Um, let, let me let me check out this other article that I saved about it and see if there was an, any other information that I wanted to share. But I don't think there is. Um, the witness seemed very hesitant. Is uh, it the same one? And it's from a different website, but it's mostly quoting from the same. Yeah, O'Hare International Airport has been the epicenter of recent winged humanoid sightings in the Lake Michigan Mothman investigation, mm. with at least a dozen sightings reporting, re, with at least a dozen sighting reports coming from the airport itself since August 2019. My gosh, I want to know what this is. <laughs> and many re- more reported in the surrounding communities. Reports from the larger investigation have come from every state bordering Lake Michigan and date back to 1957. Um, at 15 to 20 feet, this sighting represents the largest reported wingspan among flying humanoid reports within the Lake Michigan Mothman investigation. In comparison, the largest living bird species on Earth, the wandering albatross, has a wingspan of up to only 12 feet, a measurement more consistent with what is normally reported by witnesses. Hmm. So it must be real. So it it can't be. (laughs) If he said it's 15 to 20, then he's certainly... He's certainly correct. He's then it clearly there's must no have way that. he's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> there's that's no what way I'm saying. he's wrong about this. <laughs> exactly. Um, this is wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so that was the uh, humanoid owl. Um, okay. Uh, at the that one. Uh, at the at the end of that second article, it references another of these stories that I'm going to read from now, or at least the. Uh, I'm going to give you start with the headline, which is. Uh, quote, bulky person with absolutely huge wings reported near Oregon, Wisconsin. I'm telling you, Mothman got chunky. <laughs> he t- he gained the he... COVID-19. Yeah, he gained the COVID-19. <laughs> like... All right. I um... gained the COVID-19. If anyone has seen me since the pandemic started a year and a half, I'm at least 19 pounds heavier. <laughs> Ooh, uh, let's be real. Uh, Okay. So, uh, this is this is uh, like the pre. This is from Singular Fortian New for SingularFortian dot okay. for the singular the Singular Fortian Society. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Jesse Durdle uh, Durdell of the National Cryptid Society recently put the Singular Fortian Society in contact with two young women who said they'd seen a large flying humanoid on Thanksgiving night. Mm-hmm. Uh, this story is from December sixteenth, twenty twenty. Okay. So, uh, the last six months. Yeah. Uh, Ashley said that she had, and uh, wait, uh, the women's names have been changed to protect their identities. Yeah, good. Uh, as is sensible. Yeah. Claire and Ashley, both of whom are 18-year-old women from Oregon, Wisconsin, said in a phone interview with investigator Tobias Wayland that they'd seen an eight to nine foot tall creature with a wingspan of 10 to 15 feet oh while driving gosh. outside of town last November 26th. <laughs> Ashley said that she had initially seen something unusual while driving between Oregon and Staunton on Highway 138 at around 10 p.m. that evening. (laughs) I was on that road because I was going to Staunton for some stuff, she said. Not at all suspiciously. For some stuff. (laughs) I was driving my car. I noticed this thing. I couldn't tell how big it was. It just looked like a black shadow. Just start across the road. But it was probably a football field ahead of me. At first, I thought it was my windshield, because I have cracks in my windshield. But that doesn't make sense, because I've driven that road hundreds of times, and I've never seen my windshield do anything like that. 
It was insanely fast. I was like, I think I just saw something, but I'm not going to say anything because I'll sound crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm -hmm. Sounds like she saw something. Later, at around 10.30 p.m., both women were going for a drive together when they said they saw a flying humanoid sweep swoop across the road in front of them at the intersection of Sand Hill Road and Rutland Dunn Town Line Road. There was a possum on in the road, and we stopped because possum. we didn't want to hit it. Oh, baby. <laughs> we were driving around it, and then we looked up, and it was huge, like nine feet long, Claire Ooh. said. It was flying, and it swooped down across the road That's and so out of scary. our sight. That's so we scary. were both like, you saw that too, right? Oh, <laughs> this is freaky. Oh, man. Um <laughs> uh let's see here uh the creature was like a quarter of a football field ahead of us <laughs> they're definitely from wisconsin yeah. it was really close it was way too big to be a deer ashley continued it was kind of reddish brown in color i want to say but it was darker if we hadn't stopped for that possum it would have hit our car that thing was huge my first thought was dear lord it's a pterodactyl <laughs> <laughs> i love it it's a pterodactyl. Oh, man. That's my thought, too. That would be my, <laughs> dear, dear Lord. Lord, it's a pterodactyl. Oh, boy. Um, Wait. What? That's funny. That is funny. Dear Lord, it's a pterodactyl. <laughs> okay, sorry. Keep going. A lamppost positioned at the intersection partially illuminated the being from underneath, they said, allowing them to determine its approximate color and dimensions. According to the two women, the creature was headed north. It was too high up to be illuminated by the car's headlights. The very bottom was illuminated, but we couldn't see the top of it. It wasn't fully illuminated, but light was cast on the underside, Claire said. (laughs) Since it was at the intersection that we normally turned at, we normally turn at that intersection because we make loops around town. It swooped from the south towards the north. When you get to the intersection, you have to turn north. And I was terrified to turn north. I didn't want to turn north. Oh my gosh, okay. Claire described the creature as looking, uh, quote, like Mothman, and said, It looked like a very bulky person. Its limbs were a lot thicker than a human's would be, a, a lot bigger around. It had these absolutely huge wings. There were arms on its side. Actually, I, don't, I didn't know if they were arms. There were appendages on its side. Appendages. Mm-hmm. And the wings were on its shoulders or back, but I couldn't really tell. I didn't see its head. Then it swo- when it swooped down in front of us, I didn't see any head or neck when it swooped down. So it sounds like it has it has hands and it has wings. Its arms aren't the same as its wings, which I guess is, is that mm-hmm. how the regular mm-hmm. Mothman is? I think, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, or an angel, I guess. But I guess that's probably not what it is. Mm. Those aren't real. They decided to continue their drive, eventually working up the courage to revisit the location of their sighting. At around 11 p.m. as they drove by the area again, Claire spotted something unusual in a nearby field. Mm. Are you bored? No, I'm just sleepy. Okay. Although the creature had first been seen heading north when they they returned, it was standing on the south side in a plowed down cornfield. Mm. Plowed down cornfield. Uh, we were at that point where we thought it would be gone, but then it wasn't, said Ashley. Ashley, who was driving, didn't see the creature standing in the field. Claire, however, said she saw a strange creature with, uh, quote, very pronounced red eyes. Oh. I looked out the back window and the creature was standing in the field. 
It was almost a full moon, so it was pretty illuminated. Its head didn't look like it had a neck. It looked like it was just an extension of its body. It looked like a human had tucked their head onto their sh into their shoulders. It had very pronounced red eyes. We didn't have any headlights in the back. <laughs> and the only thing that would have reflected would have been the lamppost. So they are, were either reflecting really brightly or literally glowing. We go by that field all the time, and I've never seen anything like that before or since. <laughs> uh, the no women described the creature. The no yeah. one has headlights in the back. <laughs> Do they? Does does she mean they don't have tail lights? Yeah, they didn't have lights in the back. No, I guess. Yeah, uh, it was super fast for its size. Uh, it was very fast. Uh, the body was so stocky. The silhouette was similar to how I would describe Bigfoot, which <laughs> I know I'm using other un other known cryptids to describe this one, but that's really what it looked like. Uh, <laughs> I like how the Wisconsin one is very bulky and stocky. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess, yeah, that's how Mothman is now. Um, it goes on for a while, but you get yeah, the idea. Yeah, I get the idea. Get the <laughs> yeah, idea. I get it. Um, okay. So we, okay. Other, we have three more. We have strange object in the sky. Uh, we have the red-eyed winged being. And we have a uh, huge bat-winged dragon. 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 All right. Good idea. I'm about to fall asleep. Okay. I'm no, it's, I'm just it's late. I'm I'm really tired. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, why I have not been emoting much. Huge bat-winged dragon recently observed flying over Chicago's Portage Park community. A, okay. nor a North Chicago Portage Park community resident and his neighbor observed a huge dragon-like cryptid flying overhead while working in their yards on Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. So that's just a couple weeks ago. I know. Hmm. Um, okay. Uh, I just received a telephone call for a witness, F, who witnessed what he describes as a flying dragon in the Portage Park, Portage Park community of Chicago. The location is approximately two miles east of O'Hare International Airport. The That's close. Yeah. The witness and his neighbor were outside working in their lawns. It was Tuesday, May 18th uh, at around 1.30 p.m. local time in the vicinity of West Addison Street and North Austin Avenue. F is a 69-year-old man of Sicilian descent who is assisting his neighbor R while working in his yard. F said that his back was hurting him, so he sat on the front steps and leaned back. As he did this, he looked above the neighborhood and observed a huge winged being flying overhead. <laughs> F states that it was shaped like a brontosaurus. He <laughs> mentioned, for those who remember, brontosaurus. that it looked like the old Sinclair gasoline toy dinosaurs that they handed out to customers. Oh, the Sinclair is like the, that, that gas station that has the, uh, the dinosaur logo that yeah. we saw down in Southern Illinois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it had the long neck and viper-like head, um, a thick body and a long tail that ended in a spade-shaped appendage. The bat-like wings extend broadly from the side, almost the same width as the length of the creature's body. F states that it may have been 250 to 300 feet in alti altitude, hard to tell since it was an overcast day. The creature was dark gray and black throughout its length. The wings were definitely large enough that he could tell it had a membrane-slash-skin structure. Okay. Um, 
Uh, they watched it for a few seconds and lowered its head slash neck and dipped towards its left, then flapped the wings twice and quickly disappeared towards the north. Uh, when F talked to me, I could tell that he was shocked by what he saw. He was coherent, precise, and quite relieved to be able to talk to someone about this. His brother found my telephone number online and insisted that F call me. He hedged for two days, but eventually made the call. Um, he had no idea of the winged humanoid sightings in the Chicago slash Lake Michigan region until his brother mentioned it to him. Hmm. Um, uh, he also mentioned that if he had heard someone recount this experience to him, that he would out of hand discount it. it he has never bought into uh, uh, cryptids and the supernatural. As of May 18th, he became a believer and wants to know what it he what it was he observed that afternoon yeah i want to know too yeah well i hope i hope you find some answers f all right Me too um yeah let's go it makes it more believable that he didn't know <laughs> yeah about it before he saw it Mm-hmm. all right uh this one from may 14th 2021 mm-hmm. uh, a seven to eight feet Seven to eight foot tall, red-eyed, winged, winged being encountered by O'Hare, Chicago mm. Department of Aviation employee. That's Mothman. Mm-hmm. That's Mothman. Um, a Chicago Department of Aviation employee has an uh, encounter with a black, red-eyed, seven to eight foot tall, winged being outside of her place of employment as she left work. Oh, gosh. Good afternoon. I wanted to relate a possible sighting of the Chicago Mothman that I had on April 15th, 2021, at approximately 9pm at Chicago O'Hare. I initially was not going to report this, and had kept it to myself for fear of someone thinking I had lost my mind and was seeing things. That changed when I read the sighting that was posted on Facebook about that gentleman who had the Mothman sighting not even two blocks from where I work. The sighting prompted me to look up your website and eventually send this to you. This is crazy. So many people in the past like couple of weeks have been like, "I saw this thing." I know you don't bl- you don't buy it. You think these are fake? I mean, I think it's probably a pretty, um, it's probably like a big bird migration time. I don't give a shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Mothman. We're all headed north. Mothman migration time too. Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, she works, uh, on the airport grounds. I've worked there for about nine years. Um, and worked at the airport in another capacity for five years prior. I know the airport like the palm of my hand. Um, let me see. My sighting happened after I stayed late to catch up on work and had left about 9 p.m. As I walked out of the building into the parking lot, I heard what I could only describe, describe as wings fluttering. Kind of like you hear when a bird is going to take off or land. Okay. Mm -hmm. I dismissed it as just geese, as the airport has literally hundreds of them that hang around doing whatever geese seem to do. That's so true. (laughs) What followed was a loud screech. Nothing like a goose's honk, but a very, very loud ear-splitting screech. Yeah. Maybe that's a pterodactyl. Oh my... I love that even more. (laughs) Uh, very very loud ear splitting screech like what you hear when a train is applying its brakes maybe it was a train taking off no Um, No. but it was different as it went from a higher octave to a lower one and then higher again Uh, I know it was not the train as the train tracks are on the other side of the airport about 3 to 4 miles away told you yeah but what if it was flying I don't give a shit the train 
You think a flying train is more likely than a flying man? I'm just going off how she describes it. She says it sounded like a train. It's probably a train. But Maybe not a train. A train. Bird. No. As if you can have a mothman, why can't you have a train bird? If I was allowed to hit people, I'd hit you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I continued walking toward my car when I heard the screech again, and it sounded like it was coming from behind me. I turned and looked toward the trees over by the road and saw what looked like two red eyes looking right at me. I stood there looking at those eyes for what seemed an eternity. I couldn't move and it felt like the air was being sucked out of my lungs, almost like I was having an asthma attack. Yeah. I saw this thing emerge from around the trees. It was illuminated from behind by the warehouses uh, that were across the road and it must have been seven to eight feet tall and was black. About this time, a large truck was coming down the road, and it shot into the air and was gone in the matter of a second. I stood there for a few seconds, uh, still too afraid to move, when I finally came to my senses and practically sprinted for my car. I could not enter my car fast enough, and as I closed the door, I heard the screech again. I turned on my car and left as quickly as I could. Um, uh, she's not one for exaggerations. Um, uh, to... Uh, I felt sick to my stomach for two to three days after that encounter. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I didn't even tell my boyfriend scared. of this until after I had decided to send this to you. Anyway, uh, investigators the notes. first thing I would come home and say, <laughs> I saw Mothman. I saw Mothman. I would call you immediately like, I saw Mothman. Yeah. I know you would. <laughs> I know. Sorry, what are the investigators' notes? I don't know. Uh, they. What do you mean, I don't know? They're right in front of you. <laughs> Read them. Okay. Goodness. I spoke with the witness via email and I am, and after lengthy discussions about her job, she proceeded to tell me about her sighting. <laughs> lengthy discussions about her job? She did add a lot of information about I her know. job, and I'm like, I don't care. I know. Um, the office where she works is located almost directly in line with the structure where the previously submitted winged humanoid sighting occurred. Yes, it is. It is approximately 300 yards away and within visual sight of the office. Um, this is a, a different sighting that I'm talk that they're talking about, not the one I read before this. Yeah, okay. Um, that I was, I, I, uh -huh, I saw uh -huh. on the website, but there wasn't that much information about it. Okay. Uh, the witness says she left her office approximate, at approximately 2100 and was walking to her car. <laughs> yeah, she already said that. Uh, this is just repeating everything that she said. Okay. I don't know. It's, All right. Uh, nothing, nothing good there. Okay. No good nuggets. All right. No good nuggets. We saw the dragon. All right, last one. Um, for, again, back, going back to singular Fortean. Um, woman reports sighting of strange object in the sky over Chicago Loop. Yeah, she does. Right downtown. The Singular Fortean Society was contacted last week by Mary, a 47-year-old community college professor and resident of Chicago's South Loop neighborhood. Credible who, source. Mm-hmm. She's a professor. Yeah. Who wished to report that she and her son had seen a, quote, strange object in the sky over the Aeon building on May 9th of this year. Okay. Man, this is crazy. According to Mary's initial report, I was walking with my son on Northerly Island, just south of Adler Planetarium, last night around 8.30 p.m., mm -mm. and we saw a strange object in the sky over the Aeon building. I'm thinking it was the Chicago Mothman, but my son is convinced uh, it was a powered paraglider, not because we clearly identified it as such, but because it is the only possible scientific explanation. 
It is. (laughs) I thought he was going to say like Batman or something. And I was like, yeah. It's Batman. I I don't know how old his son is. It was a black curved object moving at a constant speed with little to no change in altitude. It did not have any visible lights or audible motor. However, we were approximately two miles away. Yeah, they were out on... They're on Northerly Island. They're, that's no... Anyway, uh, they couldn't hear it from there. It okay. glided between buildings southbound through the entire loop and continued over McCormick Place until it disappeared from sight. I emailed a paragliding school to ask if it was normal for paragliders to fly in the loop at night. They, reply, they replied that it is forbidden for paragliders to fly over congested areas. So it wouldn't be a paraglider. No. Uh, I'm reach. Uh, I'm reaching out to you to see if anyone else reported seeing this object last night. I was night. gonna say, did anyone else see this? It, it's in the loop. Again, this was in the loop. Potentially, thousands of people <laughs> would have glimpsed it outside the win- their window. Uh, wait, when when was this from? This is from May seventeenth, twenty twenty one. Yeah, if anyone saw that, if anyone in the loop, yeah, saw that. Uh, she described the object as being roughly seven meters long, twenty three feet, and three and a half meters, eleven and a half feet wide. Uh, this was huge, Mary said. At first glance, we assumed it was a helicopter. Um. Uh, neither Mary nor her son were able to make out any of. Other details of the object, she explains, because they uh, were about two miles away observing without binoculars. She also informed the investigator that uh, both my son and I experienced no por- no paranormal ev- elements prior, during, or after the sighting. We simply felt intensely confused and curious. I know someone had to have seen it, besides us, since it was gliding through such a densely populated area, Mary said of the object. I know that someone had to have seen this, so thank you for publishing my report. <laughs> Oh, Mary. Um, let's see. The dimensions of the object, uh, as reported by Mary, fall well outside those normally described by witnesses of winged humanoids on the, in the Lake Michigan Mothman investigation. But a husband and wife did report separate incidents uh, involving what they described as a prehistoric bird with a 40-foot wingspan near Gary, Indiana Whoa. in 2016. Uh, wow. Right, now, it's sounding more and more like there's a pterodactyl. I think there's a pterodactyl. I, I don't know about this Mothman, but the pterodactyl, I'm like sold the on. the Thunderbird? Um, yeah, both the husband. Oh, yeah, maybe it's just the Thunderbird. Are those real? I thought those were also kind of just like a cryptid type thing. Well, yeah, but like, it's probably that. That's <laughs> Both okay. the husband and wife in the Gary sightings described a similar method of flight to what Mary and her son witnessed. Uh, the wings weren't flapping, the husband said of the winged creature he reported. It was like it was just gliding. Uh, the wings did not flap, said his wife. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, that's. it is not clear what, if any, connection there is between sightings of anom- anomalous avians and pterosaurs and the winged humanoids referred to as Mothman. I don't know. Maybe Mothman they're... is real, Harry. Well, a pterodactyl... At least is real. And I No, they are not real right now. They do not exist. It's just Mothman never... is way more likely than a pterodactyl. Just because you've never seen a pterodactyl. Just because you've never seen Mothman doesn't mean Mothman doesn't exist. A, a man no. who is also a moth, Carly. A dinosaur being alive right now, Harry. <laughs> No. All right. Fine. It's just it's it's Mothman. It's just it's the Mothman. Thunderbird. No. 
Okay, we're ending this now. I'm really tired. Okay, we're done. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm, uh, it's mm-hmm. the end of the podcast. It's the end. We're, we're, we're going away now. We'll okay. See you next week. I've been Harry. I'm still Carly. And this has been... Known Unknowns. Watch the skies. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye.